Welcome to the weekly podcast for the Connection Young Adult Ministry, part of Church on the Rock in Texarkana. Join us each week as we gather together to deepen our faith, connect with others, and grow in our knowledge of Scripture and relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you're just starting your faith journey or you've been a Christian for years, this podcast is for you. Let's dive into this week's sermon. Hey, everyone. Hi, how are we doing? Uh, We're going to start tonight out a little bit differently. I want to invite Kirsten to come up. You know, this whole series that we've been talking about, um, we have been talking about our testimonies and giving our testimonies and the power that is in telling people about what God has done for us. And so uh, I invited Kirsten here. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have different people up here kind of just sharing their testimonies as an example of, for instance, if you run into somebody out in the real world um, who you know, they're unsaved and you feel like, hey, this is somebody I should tell about Jesus. Telling your testimony is the easiest way to tell someone about Jesus and have start that conversation. And so uh, Kirsten and, and as well other people over the next few weeks are just going to give us kind of an example of what that looks like. So y'all uh, give it up for Kirsten. Thanks, friends. Um, I'm actually going to pray really quick and I'm going to ask you guys to pray uh, with me and over me. Um, I know, obviously, my life, but uh, I'm just really praying that the Lord will uh, speak through me and through my life and be able to reach you guys. So let's just pray really quickly. Um, Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for me. I thank you for the opportunity to come and share about the things that you've done for me. And uh, Lord, I pray for the words and the right stories to be told in the right way. And uh, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that you're going to use everything that I have to say for your good and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. All righty. So my name is Kirsten. Hi, everybody. Hi. Um, so it's funny that ladies' night is coming up pretty soon because I actually got to share a piece of my testimony at this last ladies' night. So some of you have heard part of my story. Um, most of you probably haven't. Um, my story kind of starts in a lot of ways, uh, when I was a kiddo, I was actually five years old and I was molested by a man who was living in my house at the time. Uh, he was a man who worked in ministry. He worked in a traveling ministry and my parents were very young and very sweet and very naive and wanted to bless the ministry by inviting this traveling missionary to stay in our home. Um, I was abused for a couple of weeks while he was staying with us. Nobody knew. I didn't know. I was five years old. I was in, what is, what is that, pre-K, kindergarten? It was very, very little. And um, this shaped my worldview in a lot of ways. Um, this was in the 90s. Um, it was actually right in the early 2000s. If I was five years old. But, um, you know, there was a big wave of purity culture that was coming through the church. And uh, I was told a lot when I was growing up about how um, purity is the standard and we are not going to find good Christian husbands if we're not pure, and we're not going to, you know, nobody's going to want you if you're, uh, you know, unpure and those kind of things, and I really internalized that. Even as a little kid, I was like, well, you know what? Somebody took that from me. It wasn't my choice, so, well, I guess I'm just not a whole human, so, uh, you know, I don't know what to do with that. I'm, you know, if, if, if you're not whole after you lose this piece of you, then I didn't grow up as a whole person, right? It was my kind of mindset. I also grew up with the mindset that um, uh, thinking about sex often because I was little, right, when that was introduced to me. Most five-year-olds have never even heard that word, right? Um, and they don't until they're teenagers usually, preteens usually. Um, and so that was kind of those wheels were turning in my little brain. Well, fast forward to middle school. Um, My sixth grade year, a lot of things happened. There's a lot of big things that happened in my life. I watched my grandmother die on the side of the road. She was in a motorcycle accident. She was awesome. She was the one riding the motorcycle. Um, But still really traumatic thing to see. 
Um, my little brother was born a few months after that, which was a great thing. It was wonderful to have him, but a big shift in my 13-year-old life. Um, and then I almost died. I had uh, my appendix rupture that same year, and I had to have emergency surgery. I had spent a couple weeks in the hospital, and during that same year, pornography was introduced into my life. What a cool thing to have happen all in one year. So that quickly became a coping mechanism for me. Quickly, quickly became something that I would run to when I was stressed because I had this pattern of sexual behavior in stressful situations. You can see how that would run in my life. So um, I knew that it was bad, right? I knew that it was not of the Lord, um, but I didn't know how to get away from it either. So fast forward to high school. I am a leader in everything that I am in. I am a leader in the band. I am a leader in the theater. I am a leader in my home. My mom was really sick at this time, so I was kind of raising my two younger siblings. Uh, I was a leader in Powerhouse, and I was a leader. I worked in Kid Zone a little bit, even when I was in high school. And in every single one of those places, I was told, you need to do the right thing. You need to make good choices because people are watching you and they want to, you know, they will do the things that you do. So you have to make good choices for the benefit of other people, right? So I was like, okay, all right. I knew that this thing, this addiction, this pornography was bad. I knew that it was horrible. I hated myself every time I, I saw the things. Like every time I hated myself. And nobody was talking to me about it because I, I know they talk to guys a lot about those kind of things. Nobody was talking to girls about it at that time. So I was just kind of on my own figuring it out. And I kind of rationalized that if I am only doing good things for the benefit of other people, um, which is kind of what I had internalized in, uh, in all of these leadership roles, that I had to do good things so that other people could see me do good things and then make good choices. Um, that nobody saw this secret sin, so was it really even that bad? Because nobody could see it, right? Nobody was being hurt in my brain, you know, by it. I was only destroying myself and... Who cares about me? Nobody told me to do good things for me. Everybody told me to do good things so other people could see me do good things, right? Well, this uh, really shaped this low, low, low self-worth uh, in, my, in my brain. This idea that, you know, nobody even told me to not sin for my own benefit. Nobody... Nobody told me that sinning was killing me, right? It was always because you didn't want somebody else to see you sin. That was the, the rationale there. And by the end of high school, I was so sick of it. I was so sick of living this, like, double life, this, like, trying to figure it out and failing over and over and over again. Um, I did some great things during that time. I was a part of some really great ministry moments. I had some really good God moments of, you know, figuring out little pieces of who he is, but I still had no idea who I was. I still had no idea who he created me to be. I didn't even put much thought to it because why would I? I thought I was worthless. I thought I was not worth thinking about or protecting. And that was kind of the idea that was ingrained in, my, in my, myself. Uh, so fast forward out of high school. Hated the idea of uh, being a leader at that point. I was like, absolutely not. Never again is somebody going to tell me that I have to do such and such and such for other people's benefit. Like, I don't even want to be friends with anybody in, in college because I, like, I just didn't want anybody looking into my life. I was like, you don't need to be that close to me. No. So I didn't. I didn't make friends in college. And I ran from the Lord because I, I was mad at him. I was mad at him because I had begged and pleaded and cried and just suffered in this 
addiction and in this hurt that I had and this wounding from five years old. I didn't ever deal with, with this. I never sought counseling. I was five years old. I didn't know what counseling was. But my parents didn't know either. They were very, very young parents. They had no idea what to do with a kid who had PTSD. So we just didn't talk about it. We just ignored it, hoped that it would go away, you know. If we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. Well, it does, and it continued to affect me on and on and on down the road. Well, um, I'm in college, running from God. I find some validation um, in some men that I had met online, and I had developed relationships with men all over the country, and uh, some of which may have existed. I don't know if all of them did. I, you know, I never met any of them. But I was making horribly poor decisions with my soul and with my body because I had zero value for myself and for my body because I felt like nobody else did either. And um, I came home. And I, start, I failed out of college the first time around. Completely failed out of college. Um, because I didn't care about my future. Because it had to do with me. It didn't have to, you know, I wanted to come home. I didn't care about college. I didn't even want to go to college in the first place. My parents made me go. And so I ended up failing out of college. I come home and start going to community college. And then out of nowhere, I get a call inviting me to come work at the church. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, to, to come and, and work in kids' zone Because I did it for years when I was a teenager, right? I had a good rapport with the people who were currently running the ministry. And I was like, I mean, I need a job. So I was like, okay, I guess. I know how to fake it. I've done it before, right? So I go into KidZone, and I learned so much about God from those kids and so much about the Bible from those kids and realizing that God cares about the little things. He cares that they lost their teddy bear this morning and couldn't find it. So we're going to pray for it. right? Because that is truly the heart of God. He cares about what they care about. And, and, and still, I didn't internalize it. Still, I did not internalize it. Um, I went and I, was, I learned about the Bible because I got to teach the Bible. Right? And I learned about... Uh, the love of God for these kids in such an incredibly deep and personal way. And I was like, wow. And then I started to learn about God's love for me. And that blew my ever-loving mind. That God, he, it's not a, a blanket love. You know, a lot of times when we're growing up, we hear that God loves everybody. But he loves you. And what I mean by that is, you know, he doesn't love us all the same. He loves the thing. He knows the hairs on my head. He knows the scars on my skin. He knows every, he holds every tear that I have ever cried. He knows me. And he loves me. And I started to realize that, and I started to learn that, and I started to get a little bit of a hold on that. But the enemy still had his hooks in me during this time. And I would do really, really well. But the deal was I was trying to conquer this addiction. I was trying to conquer this sin on my own because I was too ashamed to allow God into that place because it, it was painful. It it was awkward. We don't like to talk about this stuff. Okay, I know it's weird. I'm awkward up here talking about it. I know we're all awkward. But it's real, and it's something that a lot of us have dealt with, I'm sure. And so 
I, I didn't want to let God into that place. I didn't want to tell God about these things that I was dealing with in private because it's icky. And God doesn't want to be in the icky. Like, he doesn't want to talk about that with me, right? That's what I thought, at least. So I tried to deal with it on my own. I was like, I will get rid of this, and then I will go to God, and I'll say, look, God, I did it. Look, I did it. Now you can be proud of me because I did it. And that's never happened. (laughs) I kept struggling, and I would do really, really well for a long time, and I would be deep in the Word, and I would, like, be learning about God, and then all of a sudden, I would just slip and crack my head on the concrete floor because, you know, all of these things would come back, especially when I was stressed out. Um, I did a really long period of having, you know, being really good. That's what I would say to myself. I'm doing really good. And um, I was in deep relationship with the Lord. And I found out what, he, what I believed he had called me to do, which is to do this midwife thing. And I went to Hawaii. But in Hawaii, I had no community. <laughs> I didn't have any, I had believers in the classroom with me, but I wasn't going to church because I had to work. Was my, I was like, well, I have to survive here. So I just didn't go to work. I didn't go to church. I went to work instead. Um, and I was okay. And then I was in Norman, Oklahoma. And the reason, part of the reason why I tell you about that sixth grade year and all the things that happened in that year was to say that the year that I was in Norman was the worst year of my life. It was the hardest year of my entire life. In sixth grade, there was a lot that happened, but it didn't compare to what happened in Norman. And I I can't even articulate all of the things that had happened, but it was like every day I was waking up in a war zone. And I would go in and Everybody was unkind, and I, didn't, I couldn't do anything wrong. And it was like every lie that the enemy had ever told me in my entire life, he was like proving it right in front of me. It was like, you're not, you, you don't know what you're doing. You're not good enough to do this. You can't move forward in this. I don't know what you're doing. You're not smart enough to do this. You're an idiot. You're, it, was, it was all of the lies that the enemy had ever told me in my entire life. I was just seeing them play out in front of me, and I started to believe every single one of them. It was an extremely stressful time, and I fell right back into old habits because that was my coping mechanism. That's how I knew how to deal with stress. I didn't know that God was my provider. I didn't know that God is peace. I didn't know the kind, I, knew, I started to learn about his love, but I had no idea the extent, how he wanted to love me in all of these different ways. I did not know what that looked like. And, um, There was one night that I was just done. I was over it. And I decided that life was not worth living anymore. Um, Every fear that I had had, every lie that I had been told, again, like I was just seeing them happen. And I decided to end my life. And it was the weirdest thing. I had, I had a whole plan. And I just said, mm, not tonight. Like, what in the world is that? But I just I said, okay, well, now I've got a plan, so maybe later, you know. And I went home. And I laid down, and I realized the thought process that I had in that moment. And I just cried, and I just was so weak. And I had nothing spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally left at all. And I just said, Jesus, please help. That's all I had. That's all I had left was to say, please help me. Because I'm done trying to do this on my own. I've failed so many times. I'm just over it. (laughs) I don't know what to do. There is nothing that I haven't tried, right? 
And um, the pandemic comes and I go back home and I was like, I have to find help because I cannot do this. And the Lord in his goodness and grace, graciousness, he brought me to a counselor who is a Christian woman who is full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And she's a professional. And she's like, hey, <laughs> this sounds mean, but it wasn't. She was like, you're not special. <laughs> she was like, hey, this is what trauma looks like. This is, this, is, this is normal trauma response. You, you had no idea. You didn't know where to go. You know, and God's not mad at you for taking the road that you went on. He wants to be there with you. I was like, what? <laughs> Whatever. I was like, I am a failure, and I'm a horrible person, and I've made horrible decisions, and God doesn't want anything to do with me. Why would he want anything to do with me? And she was like, no, Kirsten. That's, you, he's not mad at you. He, he doesn't, he's not grossed out by you. He's not, you're, you are loved. God knows that you are worth protecting. God knows that you are worth loving. God knows that you are worth providing for. That you are lovely and you are worth being loved. And I've been on this incredible journey of realizing how faithful God has been throughout all of my life. When I was very young, I grew up in a Christian church. I grew up with Christian people. I grew up in a Christian home. And yeah, there were issues because we're humans doing human things. But I grew up around good people. When I was in middle school and all of these things happened, my family stayed steadfast for Christ. They did not go anywhere. They didn't waver. They stayed in church. They kept me in church, even though they probably didn't want to at times because they're also human, and they were also going through tragedy. But they chose to stay, and that's a blessing to me. When I was in high school, I was put in positions of leadership where I got the opportunity to learn how to lead. I got the opportunity to watch children grow and learn about the Lord. When I got put in kid zone in that time, I got to learn about the Lord in ways that I had never even imagined. The Lord has been faithful to me through all of the tr trash that I've been through in my life. He's been there the whole time. He didn't run away. When I was in the middle of sin, the Lord did not run away from me. When I was in the middle of this cesspool of pornography addiction, the Lord didn't run away from me. He did not run away. He wanted to be there. He wanted to be there. He wanted to say, hey, I'm better. And I've learned that when I look back through my life, the times that I was really running for the Lord, man, I made good decisions. I made a lot of good decisions. And the times that I was mad at him, my life started to fall apart. And in that way, I can say that following the Lord is practical. <laughs> because when we're, he knows the end of the story right? He knows how it's going to end. So he knows how to lead you in the right direction. When I was in Norman and I was super stressed out and 
everything was going wrong. And oh, there were so many, so many horrible things that I was dealing with. The Lord was still there. And when I called out for him, he was there. I didn't have to, I didn't have to change for him to come to me and be next to me. I think a lot of times we feel that way, that we have to do better and then go to the Lord. That is the biggest lie that the enemy could ever sell you because you can't do it alone. You can't. It's impossible. I've tried. You can't do it alone. You cannot do it alone. If there's anything that I can tell you is that you can't do it alone. Invite the Lord into those spaces because he is begging you to. He's not grossed out. He's not disappointed. He's not angry. He's not any of those things. He wants to be there, and he wants to show you how much he loves you. I've been testing the Lord in the past couple of years with tithing. And I haven't, I haven't shared the story in my small group, but the Lord paid for my schooling this semester with with literal checks that my grandmother gave me when I was 10 years old that were in the back of my mom's, like, safe. Nobody even knew they existed. That is who God is. God is our provider. He is peace. He is love. You can invite him into those places that, that seem shameful. That's all I have. Way to go, Carson. We love you. We are proud of you. And we know that God is changing, has changed your life and will continue to move in your life. Well, y'all. I don't know if I can follow that. that uh, whew, let's see what we can do here. So tonight I want to talk to you, um, and I'm going to make it really brief, as brief as I can. Uh, I want to talk to you about the powers of your testimony. So if somebody walked up to you today, right now, somebody after, after connection tonight, somebody walked up to you and asked you, what has God done in your life lately? What would you say? Because that's a question that we as Christians need to be ready to answer. Um, we should be seeking to have God so active in our everyday lives, that if someone asks that question, we should have no hesitation, right? That's the goal. As Christians, we need to be seeking to partner with God in our lives. And so when, if, if I were to just ask you, hey, what's God doing in your life? And you started to stutter, and, uh, 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 no, what we should be doing is we should, should be ready to be like, man, you know what? I'm so glad you asked because this is what God is doing. I shared the, uh, I, I shared about the Lord with this person the other day. Uh, I prayed for that person to get healed, and, and they got healed. I, I blah, 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 blah. He, I was reading my Bible today, and this is what he said. Like, that's what we should be striving for. Obviously, that may not happen in our every single day, but those are the things that we should be looking for um, because there's power when we talk about what God does. When we give him glory, well, first of all, we give him glory by sharing the things that he does in our lives. And so we should be striving to have fresh encounters with the Lord on the regular. And we also need to be able to look for the places that God is intervening in our lives because God doesn't just blow the doors off things. Sometimes he just kind of redirects us, even a degree. And that one little shift, that one degree shift can end up making a huge difference. And so we need to be looking for those opportunities so that when people ask, or even if they don't ask, you can be ready to share those things. So I want to kind of want to challenge everybody. This is kind of just the, the intro to everything. I want to challenge you guys as, as a family, as a connection family, start holding each other accountable. When you see each other on a Thursday night or you guys go to hang out on Saturdays or, or anytime you guys meet up throughout the week, don't say, hey, what's going on? Say, hey, what's God doing? Start to challenge each other because what it'll do is it'll start to shift our minds. We'll be much more aware and much more intent on, on first of all, trying to partner with God and seeking that ability to partner with God to, to see what he's doing, but also it opens up our minds to the goodness of God. It opens up our eyes to see what he's doing in our lives. We'll become more aware of it, 
and therefore we get. So that's going to be, that's, that's kind of our challenge for, for the fall. That's what I want you guys to start doing. Start asking each other. Start asking your other, other friends that, that are believers in your life, family members. Start, you know, what's God doing in your life? And just see. And, and I promise once we start getting into the habit and we start getting the answers, it's, it's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, so anyways, tonight, the, the really what I want to talk about all, uh, it starts here in Psalm chapter 119, verse 111, okay? It should be up here on the screen. It says, I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I want to stop right there at 111. Uh, if you've got a Bible, I want you to look, or, or an app, pull up whatever, whatever translation that you use normally. Pull it up, and there's going to be, there's kind of going to be a split down the middle here with what your translations say. Um, if you're more of a word-for-word person, uh, so like the NASB, the ESV, um, King, New King James, those types of ones, yours are going to say something about your, your testimony. If you're more of a thought-for-thought person, like the NLT and so on and so forth, the NIV, it's going to say something more like um, your laws or your statutes. Um, I have inherited your, or your, your, your laws are my inheritance, okay? Uh, again, we've talked, we talk about this all the time. English translations are just that. They are a translation. They're an interpretation of the original language. And so it's kind of hard for uh, our interpreters, especially when they're trying to put it into, you know, if you're doing a word for word, it makes it a little bit easier. But if you're doing a thought for thought, translation is you're taking what you think they're trying to say and then put it into words that we would understand. And so there's this split pretty much right down the middle between whether this word should be translated as your testimony or your laws. This is this, by the way, the psalmist is speaking to the Lord here. This is um, the same section of Psalm 119 where it says, your, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So just to kind of put it in context, this is the psalmist speaking to God. And so this word, I have inherited your testimonies or your testimony is my inheritance, depending on what translation. Um, that word, it can be used as both, but I want to draw your attention to verse 112, which I think is up there as well. It says, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. This word, testimonies or laws, and this word statutes are two different words in the Hebrew, okay? So the reason I bring that up is because I think if the, if the original intent was for that word to be law or statute, it would have been the same word in the Hebrew here, Right? Your statutes are my, uh, are my inheritance, and then your statutes forever, I will follow them. Or You see what I mean? Like, but there's a difference. The, the author used a different word. And so in my opinion and in the opinions of the, um, a lot of our translators, that it, the, the word testimony or a written or oral documentation of something that has happened, think of it in a legal sense, right? Like your testimony in a court of law. If you're a witness and you give your testimony, that's what this is talking about. So what the author is, he's speaking to God and he's saying, your testimony or the documentation of what you have done is my inheritance and it is the joy of my heart. I want you to think about that for a second. What is an inheritance? Inheritance is something left to you or given to you by a, a father, a parent, maybe a, 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 a wealthy uncle, uh, right? These are things that we inherit, that we receive because of who, not because of who I am, but because of who my parent is, okay? And so the testimonies, what this author is saying is the things that God has done, the stories, whether it be in scripture or, or the testimonies of what God has done in your life are the inheritance of a believer, okay? Um, what God has left for us as believers is the truth and the power of what God has done. The miracles that God has done in Scripture and in the lives of other believers are a prophetic 
pronouncement of what belongs to us as children of God. I'm going to say that again. The miracles that God has done in Scripture and in the lives of other believers are a prophetic pronouncement of what belongs to us as children of God. That means because God is my father, because I have been grafted into his family, I receive the inheritance of what he has done in the past, and therefore it is a prophetic it's, it's, it's prophetic in my life. What God has done in the past, I can claim for myself as something he can and will do in the future. This is big stuff, guys. This is huge, and it's important. And that's why it's so important to talk about what God has done in our lives because it encourages other people. I have three things tonight, and I'm trying to go a little bit fast. I have three things tonight that I want to talk to you, and we're going to do a part two next worship night for the other three or four things. I haven't decided if it's three or four yet. Um, But three things that a testimony does, all right? If you're taking notes, this is a good thing to write down. Number one, first, testimonies reveal how God works. When we go into Scripture, when we begin to read what God has done for his people, on behalf of his people, we get a picture into his character. We get a picture into the way that God functions, the things he likes, the things he doesn't like, the things he does, the things he doesn't do, right? So when we, when we share our testimonies or when we hear our testimonies, we can begin to understand who God is, Right when we go into the into the into the word, similarly when we hear what other people what he has done in other people's lives, it encourages us to know that he does those things. When we hear about a miraculous healing, we can know that God heals. Right? It's it's it, it's 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 um it reveals to us more of his of his character that he is a healer. When we hear about you know let's say a a, a broken marriage that was on the fritz being restored, we know that God is in the habit of restoring relationships. God's ways are defined by his works. The things God does prove who he is. And we can discover that through these testimonies, through the documentation of who he is and what he has done. Or rather, through the documentation of what he has done, we can see who he is, right? All the good works recorded in Scripture prove to us the goodness of God. And so when we share our testimonies, we reveal not only to ourselves, but to those people that hear our testimonies, the way God works. And that's important. It helps build our faith. And so that is uh, the first reason what a testimony does and why we should share it. Second thing, testimonies create an expectation in our hearts for God to work a miracle in our lives. I'll say that again. Testimonies create an expectation in our hearts for God to work a miracle in our lives. Last week, we talked about Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. We said the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, okay? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's kind of break that down. What does that mean? Um, Now, there are multiple you know, interpretations and applications of this passage, but I think one sound and true interpretation is, first of all, the testimony of Jesus, that first part, the testimony of Jesus is basically like telling what Jesus has done, okay? It's not like Jesus's testimony. It's referring to the things that God has done in our lives, okay? What God has done in your life, the testimony of Jesus, what he has done, the second part is the spirit of prophecy, the essence of prophecy, Okay, what is prophecy? Prophecy is, is a, a foretelling of what is to happen. And so if what God has done in my life is the essence of prophecy, what's that, what's, what is that saying? It's saying that what Jesus did for me, he can and is willing to do the same thing for you. If he rescued me out of a, pornogra- a pornography addiction, he can rescue you out of a pornography addiction. If he rescued me out of alcohol addiction, he can rescue you out of alcohol addiction. If he rescued me from whatever, if he changed my life, if he healed my body, if he did whatever, whatever Jesus did for you is the essence of prophecy. It's a prophetic word over your life saying God can do it for you. 
And so when we share these things that God has done in our lives, whether it's how he turned my life around and brought me back to him and forgave me of my sins, or whether it's something that happens in my life, like a a supernatural healing or a supernatural provision financially or something along those lines, all of these things help to create an expectation in the hearts of those who hear it, right? If I tell a story about God, um, yeah, uh, Breaking, me, breaking my addiction for alcohol, and you're sitting in this room, and you're addicted to alcohol, and it's ruining your life, guess what? When you hear the story of what God did in my life, it begins to build a hope and an expectation that maybe there's hope. Maybe, maybe God can, can change this. And so it's very important that we, we share our testimonies because it can encourage, it can bring hope in hopeless situations. Um, also, one, uh, one thing about here, it's sometimes it's really easy, and this is kind of like a, 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 a word of caution. It can be easy to build a theology about God, or, or sorry, it's, it, it's easy to build a theology about what God will or will not do based on our disappointments. When we look back and, and see what he didn't do in our lives. My parents got divorced. I was sexually assaulted. Uh, my, you know, somebody close to me died, uh, committed suicide. We, we can look back at all those things that like miracles that God didn't do and start to build kind of a theology in our mind of who God is or what he does and doesn't do. But that's like the worst thing to do. That's, that's the opposite of what we should be doing. What we, what we, the way we can build a theology about who God is and what he does is by looking at what he has done. The good things he has done because, you know, bad things happen and it's easy for us to um, focus on those bad things and then assume that God isn't fully good or that God uh, isn't powerful enough to step in or, or that maybe God's just mean. It's easy for us to kind of start to build on the bad things that happen and we miss out. Sometimes bad stuff just happens. We don't know. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And sure, sure, he has the power to step in and do whatever he wants. But maybe, you know, we, we talk about this a lot here, the connection. We've been made in the image of God to be God's hands and feet in the earth. And so when we see evil, rather than stopping and saying, God, why didn't you fix it? Really, we should be asking me, why didn't I fix it? Why didn't I step in? We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. When we see evil and injustice in the world, God has done something to fix that. He made us, and he gave us his spirit so that we could go and fix those things. And so it's really easy to build a theology about what God will or won't do based on our disappointments rather than on what he has done in the past. And when we look to see what he's done, when we look in Scripture, when we hear testimonies of people, it will... we can start to build a theology of who God is off of those things. And so I say all that to say, back to our point, when we share our testimonies, when we tell what God has done, it can build an expectation in the hearts of those who hear that God is going to do it for them. And that's a really, really big deal. Number three, third thing a testimony can do. Through testimonies, God's power is released into the lives of those who hear it. Through testimonies, God's power is released into the lives of those who hear it. We talked last, uh, last time we were together for worship night, um, that scripture in Revelation that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies, okay? That we know there is power in the blood of the lamb, right? We sing those old songs, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the lamb. We know there's power in the blood of Jesus to free us from sin, to um, forgive us, to save us from the power of death. We know there's power there. And contextually, there is also some sort of power in our testimonies that allows people to overcome. And so when we share our testimonies, that's, that is our way of partnering with God and releasing the power of God into people's situations, right? I don't want to be the reason. My, my, let's say this. My silence, I don't want my silence to be the reason that someone doesn't overcome. If someone is struggling 
with something I used to struggle with and I don't share my testimony, I am the one stopping the power of God from flowing into their lives. God has given us the responsibility to share our testimony. Just as the blood of Jesus comes in and covers our sin and and frees us from those chains, it is also our testimonies that can come in and break people to help them overcome the struggles in their lives. And so I don't want my silence to be the reason that someone else doesn't get their freedom. And that is why we should always be sharing, always be telling. Um, And so uh, tonight, kind of to end things, to wrap things up, um, I just want to share a couple of testimonies from my life. Um, I have seen a number of miracles happen in my life uh, and in the life of my family. Um, my grandfather, my my papa, Apostle C, uh, when he was four years old, he died. He was pronounced legally dead. The way he tells it, he had a literal out-of-body experience. He was floating above the bed he, he had got like double pneumonia and he was super, super sick. And this was back in like the 30s. And so they didn't really have very good health care. And they were also really very poor. They were a very poor immigrant family. So there was, you know, good health care was not well available to them. And he literally says like, I, I remember looking down and seeing my dead body. And he heard a voice say, it's not, it's not your time yet. And he was back in his body and he was awake. He, he, he literally died. He grew up, committed his life to the Lord, became a preacher, and he started traveling all over the the country doing healing revivals. God moved through his ministry to to see many, many people healed. Um, And one time he was in a little town called Versailles, Missouri, and um, a young girl, she was like 15, she had polio, which was, you know, Back in the day, really, really severe. People would die of it. She she couldn't walk. She was on crutches, um, and... Basically, the doctor said, there's nothing we can do. This is just your life. And her mom uh, heard there was a healing evangelist coming through town. So she, she goes, surely we're getting in the car and we're going to there. Grandpa, uh, Grandpa Hayes did not want them to go. He was a mean drunk and didn't believe in that whole God thing. And so he didn't, wouldn't let them go. Grandma bought a little bit of extra uh, alcohol and gave it to him at dinner. And he passed out on the couch and he put Shirley in the back of the car and drove her to the church. And when he, when, uh, when Papa got up there and um, asked, you know, if there's anyone in here that needs a healing, I want you to come on down to the front. Shirley uh, got, walked down. I kind of ruined the punchline of the story. Darn it. Um, this is my grandma, my nana, my Papa's future wife. She was 15. She, she limps down to the front. She gets prayed over. She wakes up the next morning, goes to her doctor, and her polio is gone. Completely gone. She walked out of that church building on her, under the power of her own two feet, um, completely healed, and then a few years later, uh, they were married, okay? So these are, these are like true, and these are documented miracles. Like, we've, we've looked up the newspaper clippings of the doctor quoting, like, she could not walk, she was physically incapable of it, and then all of a sudden, she wasn't. This is like, we, we have looked them up, um, and we have copies of these things. Like, these are actual documented miracles, Fast forward a bunch of years. Uh, my, parent, my mom's born. Uh, my, her and my dad meet. We, uh, and uh, they start having kids, right? My little brother, Daniel, so some of you guys know him. Uh, he was, um, they did, you know, the, the 37-week sonogram ultrasound. And um, they looked at him, and they were like, yeah, he, he doesn't have any feet. And he doesn't have a hand. Uh, it might have been before 37 weeks. It might have been the 20-week ultrasound but they do the ultrasound and they're saying like he he doesn't have feet he's missing a hand like he's you need to abort this this child he's not going to have any sort of quality of life like you need to to abort him and praise the lord my mom was a christian and a believer and, and believe that that every life is valuable and she uh decided not to have an abortion come the day of his birth um he is born 10 fingers 10 toes the brain, we're not so sure about uh, about that one. But no, but he he uh, he is a captain in the U.S. Army today. He um, he's a very successful young man and has no uh, handicaps or anything like miracle, right? We prayed when we heard when we got the report of the doctor. We sat there and we prayed, and he was completely healed um, and born relatively normal. Um, 
when I, uh, another one, when I was five years old, I fell and somehow my, something happened and cut my wrist uh, open completely. It severed tendons. Um, there was blood everywhere. Uh, it was a very big emergency. Literally, they brought me to the doctor's office because my parents couldn't afford an emergency room at the time. They brought me to like my GP and he just wrapped a bunch of junk around my wrist, and he said, you need to get to the hospital right now. He is going to bleed out. Um, he's going to die. And so literally, we get to the hospital. They rush me back. They just kind of shoved everything back inside. Um, didn't take the time to, they couldn't take the time to like surgically repair any of the tendons or the ligaments or anything. They had to sew it up uh, because if not, I was going to die. They they said that the 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 severing, whatever cut through my wrist, was like millimeters away from the uh, the artery. It's like, you know how people take their own lives via, that's basically what happened to me, completely by accident. Um, lost a ton of blood, and again, they did not surgically repair any of my tendons or ligaments, and um, for all intents and purposes, there's no reason that my hand should be functional. Um, absolutely no reason I should use be able to use my hand but here I am 30 years later and I play a guitar for a living. Um, because the Lord healed me. He absolutely reached down. First of all, he saved my life from, you know, stopped whatever was, was going, stopped it just in the nick of time. Get nick of time, get it? It's a little, it's a little cut humor for you. Um, but, uh, but not only did he save my life, but he also like supernaturally healed me and gave me the ability to, to use um, my hand, my wrist, uh, my little brother Corbin, uh, he, when he was, I don't know, seven or eight, he was feeling bad one day, uh, told mom he didn't want to go to school, his stomach hurt, and she was like, yeah, okay, whatever, Corbin, and, but he, he kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing, so like, all right, fine, if you're not feeling well, we're going to take you to the doctor, well, we get to the doctor, they send us to the hospital, turns out he, he is in stage four of cancer, he has a tumor, a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, he is stage four, seven years old. Yesterday, he was playing soccer. Today, he has stage four cancer. He was the sickest kid at Arkansas Children's. Sickest kid in the hospital. A month later, he walked out completely cancer-free. Completely cancer-free. God is a healing God. These are, and these are not just stories I've heard. These are stories I've lived. This, I, I was here for it. I went and saw, visited him, visited him in the hospital on a number of occasions. Like, this is, this is my life that I'm talking about. Lyric's grandfather, Lyric and I, we went on a trip with some friends. It was right when we started, uh, when we started dating, and we were at the beach, we were in Florida, and we get a call that her grandfather had a heart attack. We're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Like, that's, that's no good. Um, and so, over, you know, it was kind of towards the end of the trip, so we decided, all right, well, we're just gonna, we're gonna take a little detour on the way home, and we'll drop Lyric by the hospital, and well, come to find out, he didn't just have a heart attack. He had the, the nickname that cardiologists give this specific heart attack is called the Widowmaker because that's what it does. You don't survive this heart attack. And here we are 12 years later, 13 years later, he's teaching a life group on Wednesday nights and, and planting a garden out in New Boston and making more okra than we can eat. Like, God is a God of miracles. He, 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 this is what he does. Supernatural things. And again, this is not, these are not stories from a book or stories that I've heard. These are things that I've lived and seen in my own life. This little boy right here, Fisher, hi, hi, buddy. Oh, he's shy. He is an absolute miracle. Lyric and I tried for eight years to have a child. Oh, he's really embarrassed. He's, he's screaming. He's very shy. We tried for eight years to have a child. Eight years. We went to doctors. We did everything we could possibly do. We tried all the organic whatevers, and, and, and nothing would work. We had two miscarriages in one year. One calendar year, we lost two babies. After eight years of waiting, two babies gone, dead, in the womb. But God was faithful. God was, was a man of his word. 
and he gave us our child, the promise that we've been praying for and waiting for. And, you know, Fisher's life, his first couple years has been a little rough. He's got, seen a lot of doctors. He goes to a lot of therapies. And, you know, he's, he's, he's making it, though. God is making a way. Through this little boy, the power of God is shining through. And I wish I had time to kind of go into everything. But, but every time I look at that boy, I can't, <laughs> I can't help but see the hand of God and the power. What doctors said was impossible is sitting right there. Nothing is impossible for God. And so I say all of this to say, God wants to act in our lives. But sometimes our lack of faith, our despair, can hold up those things. And so tonight, if there is anything going on in your life that you need a miracle for, health, finance, relationship, whatever, I promise you there is somebody in this room that God has already fixed that for. And because he did it for them, he can do it for you. I, I, I fully, wholly believe that because I've seen it. I've seen it. And that, this isn't even all the stories that have happened in my family. My aunt, my Aunt Linnell, the pastor here at Church on the Rock, she had breast cancer. She doesn't anymore. My mom has blood cancer. And while she still technically has it, she's kicking and she's doing great. Like she's, she's done so much better than the doctors ever thought she could. Like we could go over and over. I could be here all night telling you guys about the things that God has done in my life because he is powerful. There is nothing that is too big for God. And so tonight, one, I, my prayer first and foremost, is that your faith has been built up by both what Kirsten said and, and a little bit of what I've shared tonight. I hope that your faith is being built to believe for the miracles that God is going to do. But second, I want to challenge you. Don't be the reason somebody doesn't get their miracle. Tell your story. Share what God has done. And you know, Lyric and I our, our infertility journey, we had eight years of waiting. But even in those eight years, we still got opportunities to share our testimony. Because sometimes the most powerful testimony is your faith when you still haven't received your miracle. The fact that you haven't given up believing that God's promise is going to be fulfilled may be just the thing that someone else needs. Yeah, when we, were, when we were struggling, when we didn't have our baby and we were believing, it was kind of the opposite of encouraging for people to come up and say, you know, I had five miscarriages, but now I've got four kids. That didn't always help because that's great for you, but what if that doesn't happen for me? Right? Sometimes it was almost soured that we would hear about this thing, that this awesome miracle that happened, but we couldn't really rejoice in that because we were still in our in our muck and in our, in our difficult times. And so maybe you're sitting here and you don't have your miracle yet. Maybe you haven't seen it. Maybe you're believing for a family member to be saved and they haven't come to know Jesus. Maybe you're sick or someone in your life is sick and they just haven't received that miracle, that healing yet. Well, your faith in the midst of that may be exactly what someone else needs to hear in order to keep believing what God has for them. So tell your story. Tell about what God has done because when we do, it releases the power of God into people's lives. It boosts their faith and it creates an expectation of what God can do. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Lord Jesus, we pray right now, I pray, Lord, over every single person in this room, Lord God, that if there is doubt if there is fear, if they are going through a storm that they need faith to believe that you are good and that your promises are yes and amen right now, Lord, I speak to those storms, I speak to those hearts right now, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just cause faith to arise inside of them. Lord God, that you would help us, that you would, you would carry us on wings like eagles, Lord God. Your word says that those who trust in the Lord will not grow weary and will never be put to shame, and we stand upon that right now in the name of Jesus. 
I pray that every single person in this room, if they are still believing for a miracle, if they are holding out for something in their lives to happen, Lord God, I pray that you would bring your Holy Spirit to come and comfort them and give them the strength that they need to persevere and to believe, God. We know that your promises are yes and amen. We know that you are not a man that you should lie. And Lord, we thank you and we stand upon that. And Lord God, I pray that you would give us all the boldness to continue to speak about what you've done in our lives. Lord God, that you would use our testimonies to change people's hearts, to change people's lives. Lord God, that we would be able to reach those people who are lost, who are hurting, who are struggling, Lord God. I pray that you would help our testimonies. Our, you would give us the boldness to share our testimony so that we can reach those people in those dark, dark places, Lord God, that you would help us to shine your light in a dark, dark world. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Michael and the Connection Leadership dive into the Word of God and explore how it applies to our daily lives. You can join us live every Thursday at 7 at Church on the Rock in Texarkana, Texas. Thanks for listening.